All right, we'll be in Exodus 15, the song of Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. The flood stood in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. You blew your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O God, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretch out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, Till the people pass by whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the, into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Hello. There we go. All right. So we're going to get to that song in he here in just a minute. But um, if you don't know me, my name's JT. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm so glad that everybody's here today. And I'm really excited. This is a, a great passage. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But um, 
I'm about to, for at least a few of you in the room, I'm about to blow your minds today. You ready for this? Some of you already know this, but some of you don't. Um, I used to be a pretty different person than I am now, right? Anybody else? Right? Anybody else? And, and right after high school and really in early college, I had a convertible that I loved, that I paid for, right? I worked for it and I paid for, and I had 15-inch subwoofers in the trunk. You may picture that? Man, I was walking around thumping, like going, the guy going through the neighborhood, the people were like, turn that down. That, that was actually me. And you know what I like to listen to? You know what I listen to all the, thing, all the time? Things like Tupac and Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. And it played loud and it played proud and I had my top down and that's who I was. It's just true. Right? I'm not up here condoning it. I'm not, up, don't, I'm not condoning Dr. Dre, but like that, that's just the truth. That's who I was. That's what I listened to. Now, even though I'm not that guy anymore, and I'm not, I don't listen to, to music like that anymore. Um, what do you, here's what happened the other day. I was at my sister's house, my twin sister, if you didn't know that, the one that looks nothing like me and is way shorter than me and has blonde hair and is way better looking than me. Um, that one. Um, I was at her house the other day and we just had videos playing in the background as we were at a family gathering and this song came on called California Love. California Love. I'm not on the worship team, right? But it came on, right? I don't listen. It was Tupac featuring Dr. Dre. It's not a good song. It's not a good video. But um, do you know what happened when that song came on? Right then, as soon as it came on, I was immediately taken back to that summer between high school and college when I had my convertible, driving down the lake with my friends with that song bumping in the background and working at the movie theater without really a care in the world before everything got really, really serious. And it just kind of took me back in that moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? Again, not condoning it, but it, it, like songs have this way of just taking you back. These emotions, these experiences, these feelings, these memories, it comes on and then immediately you're there. Am I right? And man, there's a song that reminds me of the moment I started falling in love with this really cute girl named Christy. I know exactly what song it is. When it comes on, I remember that feeling, right? There's a song that reminds me of my dad. And, And relevant to today, there are certain songs that just resonate deep in my soul. When I hear them, they just draw me into God's presence. They just stir my affections for Christ. And I just, I literally just feel closer to God when certain songs come on. You know what I'm talking about? It's what we just got done doing. Like, this is why we, we, we sing. Songs have, a way of, songs have a way of reminding us um, of these really important things that happen to us. Like, really, like, nothing else, done, nothing else can and nothing else do, does. Songs just have a powerful connection to our memories and to our emotions. And so if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the book of Exodus, and it's kind of a big day because the Exodus has actually happened. Just as God promised, the Israelites have been freed from their slavery in Egypt. And not only that, but they left, and then Pharaoh's army came after them, trapped them against the sea. They had nowhere to go. So God's like, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Watch this, right? If you know the story, he parts the Red Sea, right? Which Brandon said last week might have been like up to seven miles across. Parts the Red Sea. They cross the, the sea on dry land. And is Javi in here today? Javi and I talked about this in life group. Like I always just picture of it, them trying to get through the Red Sea. But, but it says on dry ground. He parted the sea, dried the ground for them so they could get through. And as soon as they got on the other side, as soon as all the Israelites were safe, the sea collapses on the most powerful army in the world and utterly destroys Pharaoh's army. That's where we're landing today, because that is what they are singing about in Exodus 15. If you didn't pick up on this, Exodus 15 is a song, right? It is a song of celebration. It is a song of remembering. 
a song that would have been sung by the Israelites as they traveled through the desert, as God was, was going to lead them to Mount Sinai and lead them to other places, a song they probably would have sang as a people. They would have sung around campfires as they celebrated what God did for them, a song that they would have taught to their kids for generations and generations and generations so that their kids would remember, so their kids would feel that moment and try to, try to help them experience what it must have been like to be there when God saved them. It's a song created we think written by Moses, because Moses wrote this book, a song written by Moses that would help them to never forget what God has done for them. When God not only saved them corporately, and when I say corporately, I mean as a people. Like he saved all the Israelites, right? And everybody that came with him. He saved them corporately, but listen, he also saved them as individuals. When we read this song, when we think about it, he saved a people, but listen, he, he also saved sons and daughters, right? Parents are with their kids. Like they, God not only saved them, but they saved their sons and daughters. He saved parents. He saved moms and dads. He saved friends and loved ones. He saved individuals in this moment. It's a corporate song, but it's, almost, it's also meant to be a very personal song that every person who, love God, who loves God can hold on to and remember their God and their Savior and what he's willing to do for his people. It's a song so important that it's, refer, it's referred to in Revelation 15 in, in, in the context of Jesus Christ returning when he, comes again, when he comes again to make all things new, right? It seems to be a song that we're going to celebrate at the very end, that we're going to even celebrate and sing in heaven about what God has done and the redemption of his people, like all, the story of God throughout all time. We're going to be celebrating and singing parts of this song in heaven. At least that's what it seems to be pointing to. So today, if the song is that important, it points to things so massive. I want us to really understand this song. I want us to embrace this song. I want us to feel this song. And remember, it's a song of celebration, and hopefully it'll draw something else up, joy and celebration in our hearts for who our God is. Because it is a celebration of what God has done for us, right? But it's also a celebration of what God has done for you and what God has done for me. So with that, Let's just try to really get a really good grasp of this song, really dive into it. Read with me again in verses 1 through 3 in chapter 15. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Church, you probably know this, but this is how ancient cultures pass down their history and their heritage. Right? Because as we talked about in, in the opening, songs have power. And so they created things like this. We remember songs. We remember experiences through songs. We feel the same emotions that we felt before through songs. So listen, in the ancient world, obviously, they didn't have mass-produced books. Right? They didn't have recording devices. So they remembered things through stories and songs. And so these things, I know we read them and then we think they're important and we can see the value of them. But to them, then this is how they passed down who they are. This is how they held on to their history. And I love how in this song, who, again, if, if Moses wrote this, we think Moses wrote this, so I'm going to refer to it like that. Uh, when Moses wrote this song of celebration, I love that how he doesn't start with the Israelites. He doesn't start with them. He starts with God. Right? He says, why are we singing? Because, because God has triumphed gloriously. 
right? Because he's, saying, he's wanting to see God is our victory because God accomplished everything that was needed for our salvation. You may have heard me say this before. Where we get in trouble, church, is where we start with us and our faith. Now, we talked about this at Victory Mission this week. When we start with us, when we start with what we have or haven't done, when we start with what we need to do or haven't done and should do and all the guilt and all the shame, that's where we get in trouble. Because the story of the Bible is not a story about you. It's a story about God. And that is, man, I don't know if that sounds good or bad to you, that the, 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 the Bible is not about you. It is the most like, relieving thing ever, that you don't have to carry all the weight of being good enough, of performing good enough, of measuring up to this, some standard that God has that you know that you can't measure up to. We start with God. We start with who he is, what he has done, and what he says about us. That's how we stay on track. That's when we get our faith right. That's how we can move forward, and that's exactly what Moses does here. He's pointing to, listen, God has won this victory. God is majestic and glorious. We start with him. And then Moses says something in this song that I absolutely love. He says, the Lord is my strength, and he has become my salvation. You notice how he didn't say, like, and God saved us, God gave us salvation. He says, God has become my salvation. And he doesn't even say our salvation. It says my salvation, right? I said this is a corporate song, but also a very personal song. This is more than God just saying to us that he saved us or saved them from something, but that he saved them to something. Do you see that? Right? So often we think of our salvation, even their salvation, as this one-time event. Hey, and listen, in a lot of ways, it was a one-time event, right? You went from lost, and then you were found. You were, you were a not, not a believer, and then you were a believer. And so some ways, it is a one-time event. But God does so much more in our salvation than just redeem us. He transforms us into something new, doesn't he? He transforms us into his people, into his children, people that were of the kingdom of sin and death, and he moves us from that kingdom into his kingdom, the kingdom of life and peace. That's why we call the series Kingdom to Kingdom, because he was delivering them from the kingdom of Pharaoh, which represented the kingdom of evil, the kingdoms of this world, and he delivered them into the kingdom of God. He changed who they were through faith. And as the song says, I love it, God has become my salvation. God has become our salvation. He also says something interesting that, that God is a man of war. The Lord is his name. You know, the word used here for Lord and God is the word Yahweh. Yeah, it's the name that God gave to Moses as his name at the burning bush. And listen, right here in this song, this matters. Because people are going to hear this song. This song is going to be spread. And it matters because they live in a world at that time where virtually every other culture, every other religion worship thousands of gods. Thousands of different gods in the world. And this song is proclaiming there is one God. There is one God of war. There is one Lord. And his name is Yahweh. And he is the Lord over all of creation. That's what they're proclaiming in this song. There is one Lord, and his name is Yahweh, the great I am. And that Yahweh is not only a God of salvation, but that Yahweh is a God of war. A God that fights on behalf of his people. A God that will by no means ignore sin and evil. And that's important even today, isn't it? Because so often our world wants to paint God, wants to talk about God, and Jesus in particular is kind of this soft God. A soft God that just loves everyone for exactly who they, will, who they are and wants, wants everybody. And it's kind of like this kumbaya thing. Like you just need to love people. And listen, loving God and loving people is the greatest commandment, right? Everything else in our faith follows un, uh, underneath loving each other. 
right? It even says if you have all knowledge and do all good works and have, have everything, but you don't have love, you don't have anything. You're just a noisy, banging gong wasting your time. So yes and amen to love, but that's not the, that's not the love that our culture is producing. It's this soft love. You even hear people say things like, man, God in the Old Testament and the New Testament just seems to be like two different gods. And by the way, I get that. I'm not going to act like I don't understand what, what you're saying when, when you think that, but listen, yes, God is patient and he is faithful. And he even says he long suffers for us. Like God suffers for us, patiently waiting on us. It says that, that God is a God of steadfast love and grace and mercy. And all of that is in the Old Testament. All of that is said over and over and over in the Old Testament. And all of that is absolutely true. He is all of those things. But he's also the God that destroyed Egypt. Even tougher, he's also the God that will later destroy Israel because of their sin and send them away into exile. And he's also the God that is going to return one day when Jesus comes back and he's going to come back and he's going to separate those from who believe in him and faith and those who don't believe in him. And as 1 Corinthians 15 says, as Revelation clearly states, Jesus is going to come and destroy every ruler, every authority, every power that comes against him as he puts his enemies underneath his feet. That's who Jesus is. That Jesus is going to return with the sword to bring war and devastation on sinners and enemies. God is not a different God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yes, we live in a time of grace and peace and patience awaiting the time that Jesus Christ returns, but God has always been the same. He is a God of love and he is also a God of war. But church, I want you to see something from this song. I mean, it's hard for you to wrap your mind around a God of war. I understand that. I understand that, but, but listen, um, that actually should give us hope. That should bring us peace. Because it absolutely bring the Israelites hope and peace, didn't it? I think the only reason we don't want a God of justice, I'm going to make a bold statement here. This is an opinion. You ready for this? The, the only reason I think we don't want a God of justice is because we live in the safety of the West. But come from a place where there is someone ruling over you, slaughtering your children, enslaving your people, that you have no hope, you have no strength, you have no power, you have nothing to count on, no one to rely on, and your family and your friends are being murdered by people that have more power from you. And then tell me you don't want a God of justice. It's easy in the West where we're safe to say, I just want a God of love. But come from that point where, you, where all you have left, if you don't trust in a God to, to redeem you, to save you, to make all things right in the end, all you have left is sorrow and revenge and pain and anger and hurt. That's all you got. But the Israelites trusted in a God that would fight for them, that would go to war for them because they were his people, because they had faith in him. They cried out to a God where they had no power. They cried out to the God of power and said, save us. And he saved them. And he showed off his power. He flexed his strong right hand, as the passage says. Yes, church, man, a God of love is an easier God to love where we, where we come from. But we want a God that is a God of love and patience and kindness and grace and mercy. And a God that also goes to war against evil and sin. A God that will make all things right in the end. That's a God that we trust. That's a God that we hold on. That's a God that we can hope in. Because as Romans says, we don't need to avenge, church. Because God is our avenger. We can, turn, we can turn the other cheek, right? Not because it doesn't matter when people try to hurt us. It's because we can trust God to make it right in the end because God is a God of justice, right? So we trust God with these things, and that gives us hope. That's what we hold on to. That's what the Israelites who were enslaved to the most powerful person and the most powerful army in the world held on to, and their God delivered them 
He brought them salvation. He was a God of grace, and he was a God of war. We see that even more clearly, who our God really is and what he's willing to do for justice in 4 through 12. 4 through 12 is kind of a recap of where we've been and the Exodus. So let's just read it straight through. Exodus 15, 4 through 12. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. Church, that's a God of war. And as you could probably see, that was basically a recap of what God has done for them. They want to remember. They want to remember the Exodus. They want to remember this moment when they're standing at the Red Sea, looking over the most powerful army in the world destroyed, and remember what their God did. They don't want to forget that God not only kept his promises to them, but that he did it in unimaginable, unbelievable ways, right? So unbelievable that people are still debating today whether it actually happened, right? Because it's just so miraculous, And as we've seen all through Exodus, it says that this happened by God's strong right hand, right? The God of the Bible, God the Father, doesn't literally have a right hand. This is a representation of God's strength. God's strength as he pursued and shattered his enemies, as he overthrew his adversaries, as he covered them with the mighty waters of the sea. And this actually helps us to inform, I think Brandon addressed this briefly last week, that, that some people like try to, try to say, well, the Israelites probably just crossed over a low water passing, or they crossed through a marsh, or they, they crossed through the Reed Sea, or they crossed through something else. Doesn't, doesn't this passage make it very clear what actually happened? I don't know where they get their information from, where they think that's, that's what actually happened. Like this song, Moses makes it very clear that God buried them at the bottom of the sea, that the floodwaters covered them, that they were in the heart of the earth. I mean, in the heart of the sea, in its depth, the mighty waters destroyed this army. Like, I don't know where the debate actually even really comes from, if you're just honest, because the only reason we know about the story is from the Bible. Right? And the Bible makes it clear what actually happened in this moment. They didn't cross over some low water crossing. They went on dry ground through the heart of the sea. And then verse 11 makes clear that this was the majestic and holy God who was unlike any other God through his wonder, declaring his glory, his might, and his power to the world. That's, again, that's what all of this is about. Yes, it's about the salvation of his people, but primarily this is about God's glory and God's glory going throughout the world. We're going to see that really clearly in a second when we get to verses 14 through 18. Right? We're going to see what it looks like for God's glory to go forth to the world and the effect that it has on the world. But before we get there, I want to get to what I, I think is kind of the heart of this song, the heart of this chapter in verse 13. So let's just read verse 13 before we move on. Verse 13 in chapter 15 says this. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. I, th- I think actually this not only succinctly kind of sums up this song, 
and the point of this song, but really in a very succinct way, it kind of sums up the point of the book. Because our God is a God of steadfast love, because our God is a God who keeps his promises, he not only will redeem, save, bring salvation to his people, but he'll guide them to his holy abode. That, that's really what this book is about. The first half of this book is about salvation. The second half of this book is about God's holy abode. So what, is that, what does that mean? Because like, that's where we're going. So what does that mean? It means what we started with in the beginning. God saved them from something, the Egyptians, and he saved them to something, his presence. This is really what this book is about. Through God's glory, him drawing his people back into his presence. And if you look down to verse 17, it reiterates this by saying that he'll plant them on their mountain, a place where God will make his sanctuary, where God will make his abode. So this is not only pointing forward um, to what we're going to get to shortly in just a few chapters. When Israelites get to the mountain, they get to Mount Sinai, and literally we're going to see God's presence is going to fall down on the mountain, and it's going to freak people out because God's presence is too close to him. He's just too holy. He's just too awesome. But God's presence is going, to fall, is going to fall on the mountain. So it, it is pointing to that, but it's pointing to more than that. It's pointing more specifically to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the mountaintop where, in Israel where God's presence is going to dwell on earth, where they're going to build the temple. And in the temple, in the holy holies, God's presence can't be contained, right? But God's presence on earth is going to be held in the temple. So this is really about being with God, being with and near God's presence. This is what the promised land is really about. The promised land is not just about a land flowing with milk and honey, which God's promising them that, meaning a good land where you can grow. It's about being God's people, about him being their God and, and him being their God and them worshiping in his presence, near his presence, under his protection and blessing. That's what all of this is about. And so here's why this song is still so relevant to us today, even though this is pointing to the temple, this is pointing to Mount Zion, this is pointing to the mountain. We know that the Passover that occurred when God freed them from the Egyptians through the sacrificial lamb to lead them into deliverance, wasn't really about that lamb or about their, just their deliverance, was it? Right? We know that the deliverance of God's people from slavery in Egypt isn't ultimately the slavery that God's people need to be delivered from. It was just pointing to something more. We know that the promised land in Canaan that they are eventually going to end up at is not really the true promised land. It's not the fulfillment of what the promised land is supposed to be. And we know that the temple on Mount Zion isn't the true place that God's presence is going to dwell with his people forever, is it? God's plan for redemption, the plan that we see stretched throughout all of the Bible, that we see stretched throughout all time, is a plan to bring people back into his presence when that that separation occurred when sin entered the world and our sin keeps us away from God's presence. This is all about restoring us back to him. That's the story of the Bible. From Adam and Eve on, where it was, everything was broken, sin fractured everything, sin created a distance between us and God. It's all about bringing us back to God, back into his holiness, back into his glory. This is all pointing forward when true redemption would come through the real sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ. When he would go to the, the cross and pay the redemption price for our sin, man, he would, when he would free us from the slavery of sin and exchange our sin for his righteousness and holiness so there would no longer be this separation of, from us and God's presence like there was in the temple where God's presence would actually dwell in his people. Where the Holy Spirit would come and live with us because Christ's righteousness covers us. 
But even the promised land, as I said, is not the true promised land. The new heaven and the new earth that Jesus is going to bring with him, that's the true Mount Zion. That's even the Mount Zion that the Old Testament prophets are talking about, that Jesus will bring and we will dwell in God's full presence, in his full blessing forever. True salvation, true redemption at the very end. Even this song is pointing forward to that day. That's what we celebrate. They're celebrating salvation in that moment, but we know that there's a much bigger, much greater, much Man, much more deep and beautiful redemption plan. So church, that's why it's so important. When we only under, understand certain aspects of the Bible, when we're only New Testament Christians, we, we don't get the whole story of the Bible and comprehend the massive scale and scope of God's glory and his plan of redemption throughout time. It's so big. It's so encouraging. It brings so much hope to see God working all throughout time, all throughout scripture for you. It's all pointing to the good news of the gospel, and it's just so beautiful. And this song helps us to see just how glorious God truly is, how far his glory really goes. And so speaking of God's glory going forth, I mentioned this a second ago, right? That in verse 14 through 18, we get to see how God's glory begins spreading to all of the world. I'm not going to read that part again right now. But what we see in verses 14 through 18 is how God's judgment of Egypt, how his wonders against Egypt was, listen, the word that I've been using is evangelizing to the world. God's glory going forth is God evangelizing to the world. It says that the world has heard what God has done and they tremble. Like the world is trembling. This God of slaves, this God of this nobody people, this God who just conquered Egypt with a bunch of slaves who didn't do anything. The world has now heard about what is happening and they tremble. It says that the Philistines are seized with pangs of fear, that the Edomites are dismayed, that the Moabites tremble, and that the Canaanites melt away. Do you know that that actually happens in the exact order that they encounter these cultures as they go in to conquer the promised land? God's already laying the, fi- the foundation of what they're going to encounter. And all of these great people who are much greater than the Israelites in power and war and what they have and being trained in war are all trembling in fear. God's glory is going forth. This is what this is about, God's glory going forth to the world. And listen, God's glory, and some, some believe in God, some believe in Yahweh, and, and they are saved because they believe in faith. As we've talked about, some of the Egyptians left with the Israelites, right? They went from enemies to God's people because they left with them. And so God is a God of salvation. He's bringing faith to those who follow him and glory. But also, God's glory is going forth, is bringing many other people fear. Because they've seen what God is willing to do to those who are against his people, those who are against him, those who commit sin and evil, and they tremble. And they tremble. Don't let that just slide over you, church. Like, put yourself back in the ancient world. I know this is just a story, but think about how insane it is that a group of slaves that most, most of those other cultures probably hadn't heard of or the only reason they'd heard of them because they knew the Egyptians enslaved them, which made Egyptian, the Egyptian economy great. A bunch of slaves who worship a God they've never heard of or have forgotten, and they're set free. They're the, like the greatest army in the world with the chariots and the horses and all of the money and like that army was defeated, that army was brought down and they didn't even have, they didn't even fight. They didn't even use weapons of war and they're all gone. 
No one can stop Egypt. No one can stand up to Egypt except these slaves did who walked out of Egypt and then defeated the greatest army in the world. Think about how crazy that is. Think about how that would have went forth like wildfire throughout the world. And we see it clearly in verses 14 through 18. The world is trembling because they have no idea how this possibly could have happened. Things like this don't happen. God's glory is going forth. And it's an important reminder for us, church. Because yes, yes and amen, we want to preach grace and mercy and forgiveness and the love that God has for his creation, the love that God has for his people. The love that God has, so much love that he let his own son die on a cross so that anyone who would believe in faith can come to him, be redeemed, be saved, be renewed, repent, and then be in God's family. Yes, and amen, we need to preach those things. But we also need to preach that God is against sin and he's against sinners. We need to preach that hell is real and that if you aren't for God, then you are against God, right? There's no, there's no middle team in scripture, is there, right? It's easier to preach grace and mercy. It's easier to talk to people about love, but if you're not talking about the consequences of sin, you're not talking about the consequences of having to bear your own sin, you're not talking about the consequences of God's wrath and judgment for evil and his judgment at the end, then you're not actually preaching the gospel. You're preaching what is easy for other people to hear, And as you hear me say all the time, we can't understand just how good the good news of the gospel is without understanding just how bad the bad news really is. And when you understand just how bad the bad news is, when you preach the gospel, it is so much bigger. It is so much deeper. God's grace is so much richer because people will start to feel how badly they need a God. You know, the the world doesn't even really recognize sin anymore. Have you noticed that? Maybe in our little our, our Christian circles and Christian culture, right? But as a whole, the world's like, sin, you do you and I'll do me. Your truth is your truth. My truth is, is, is my truth. And you just kind of do your thing and we'll just love each other. Except the Bible teaches the exact opposite of that. Right? That God holds people accountable for sin and they are in terrible danger. We must preach the whole counsel of God. We must preach that God is a God of mercy and grace and a God of war and bring those two things together so you understand the depths of salvation. And right now, they're singing this song. They are celebrating. We're going to see in a minute. They're literally dancing because they understand the depths of evil because it's been done against them. But they also understand the grace and the mercy and the beauty and the power of God. And they just cannot stop celebrating. That's what preaching the whole gospel actually does. People celebrating how amazing their God is because of what he has done. Not based off what they deserve, but based off grace. Based off grace. But always, listen, always, in the end, we preach God's great love for any that come to him in faith. That's where we always land. God has grace for you, love for you, you can come. But we have to preach the whole counsel of God. And this song shows us. And the last thing we're going to see in this song today is the passing along of the song to all the people. Read one more time in verses 19 through 21. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. 
So that's the first two lines of the song. She's teaching them the song. So that's the last thing we see. Miriam is passing along the song to all the women. And not just passing along the song. They're all grabbing tambourines and instruments and they're celebrating and they're dancing. Can you just picture them on, on, on the seashore just dancing and celebrating and singing and playing instruments? Just like fired up. Like, oh my gosh, look what God did for us. You know, right before this, they're doubting God, aren't they? Like, why, why did you bring us all out here to be buried? That, were there not places for us to be buried in Egypt if we're all going to die? But now they've seen God come through for them again. It's not like he hasn't before. Again, and they're dancing and singing. And we've seen already how quickly they forget what God's done for them. So they need to hold on to the song. They need to dance and to celebrate and remember who God is. And so she's passing this on to all the women, and they're dancing and singing. Which, by the way, I don't, that doesn't mean the men aren't dancing and singing. If we go through the rest of the Old Testament, we absolutely, absolutely see passages where men play instruments and dance and sing. Man, David got it. If you've read about David, man, that dude liked to dance and sing and play instruments. And man, he, he celebrated so much to the Lord that some people were like, David, chill. And he's like, I'm not chilling. What are you talking about chill? Like, do you know who my God is? Well, let me go back and sing the song of Moses. Let me show you why we should be celebrating right now because of who our God is. So this is, a, this is just a big party. And so if you don't know who Miriam is, she's probably, we don't know for sure, she's probably the sister that was walking along the Nile watching Moses when he was a baby to make sure that he was safe, that, that talked to Pharaoh's daughter. He calls Miriam a prophetess, which means she spoke on behalf of the Lord like Moses did. So she, she was a leader among the people like Moses and Aaron. And I know here it calls her Aaron's sister, not Moses' sister. That's probably because Aaron was the older brother. In an ancient culture, the older brother was a big deal, right? So Moses is showing his brother honor by saying, Aaron's sister, Miriam, the prophetess, she, she taught the song to all the women. She led the women, and they all celebrated and danced on that seashore and probably danced and sang as they walked through the desert and around campfires and with their children for generations to come. It's kind of awesome because it's a song to never be forgotten through all the ages, a song to be sung even in the new heaven and the new earth today, a song from the beginning and a song at the end. It's awesome. You know why? Because songs have power. Stories and songs have power. Remembrance has power. So here's what I want to do today. I want to do something a little bit different. In a second, we're going we're gonna to sing corporately like we normally do. Like we're going to sing songs of celebration about who God is and what he's done and what he's done for us and songs of remembrance, right? That's, that's what we do on Sundays. And really what we do on Sundays is a reflection of what's happening in Exodus, Exodus 15, isn't it? Songs to remember who our God is and what he's done. <clears throat> but today, I don't want us to just remember corporately or in a general way, what God has done for us. Because we talked about this in Life Group and Victory Mission. So often we keep it up here, God has done for us. And God has done a, a lot for us. And, and we need to celebrate and we need to remember, but we never actually get to I. But listen, this song is corporate, but it's also very personal. And so I want us to remember not just corporately what God has done for us, but very personal, very specific. For as Moses talked about, God has become my salvation. And here, but here's the thing, um, we're not all TJ, we're not all my daughter Keaton, who can just write their own song. Anybody songwriter in here? I've tried, I am not a songwriter, right? But that doesn't mean that we can't very purposefully and very practically remember what our God has done for us. So here's what I want to do. I, I gave some people in the room some cards. Could you guys jump up and hand out those cards? That's you, Keaton. Get on it. We're going to hand you out some cards. If you have a pen, go ahead and grab it. I didn't have enough pens for everybody in the room, but if you have a pen in your purse or in your pocket or whatever else, grab a pen. But otherwise, we're going to hand out some pens. <coughs> They're going to walk around. I want everybody to have a card. 
And so if you don't have one yet, if they miss you, hold up your hands. Kayla, are you stretching or holding up your hand? Yeah, I thought so. It looked, it looked like a stretch hand hold. I'm here. Come get me. All right, gotcha. And so as they're handing out these cards, um, try as they're passing out to listen to me because I want you to know what we're doing with these cards. You guys ready? Cards and pens. Mike, why are you so slow? <laughs> go, go, don't talk. Just go, just go. <laughs> so, yeah, we got them up top. If you, don't, if you don't wind up with a card or a pen, just take notes on your phone. I actually would take the notes on my phone. That way I'd have them with me all the time. Um, but I gave you cards so that you could, we could do this together. So here's what I want you to do. On the front side of the card, I want you to think about who God is, who your God is, and because of who he is, how he has become your salvation. The amazing things that he's done because of who he is. Let me give you some examples. Uh, These are just some things that I wrote down. Because of who he is, he saved me even though I don't deserve it. I need to remember that every single day. That's not about me, it's about him. Because of, not, not just that he saved me, but because of who he is, because of his holy character, he saved me even though I didn't deserve it. Another one I wrote, it's because of who he is, he forgives me even when I haven't earned it. You know, that's, one of the, that's been one of the hardest things for me over time, is to believe that God is gonna forgive me again, that God is gonna walk me through this again, because I know there's been times I just knew I didn't deserve it, yet God's gonna forgive me and walk me through this again. I need to remember that every day. Here's another one I wrote, because, of, because God is holy and full of steadfast love, he came and died for me, even though I know my own heart, I know how self-righteous I can be if, if God's not owning me. I, I think it's possible I could have been one of those people in the crowd getting caught up, angry that, that religion wasn't being done right, screaming, crucify him. Do you think you're beyond being one of those people in the crowd screaming, crucify him? I know I'm not. So even though I could have been one of those people screaming, crucify him, God still came and died for us, but died for me. I could, I could be that ugly and God would still die for me because he makes me beautiful. I need to remember that. I need to remember. I need to remember it's because of who he is that these things are true about who I am. That's the front side of the car. Here's the back side. So take a break from writing down real quick. Back up here. Because I think this is the part I don't want us to miss. On the back side, I want you to write down very specific ways, not general, very specific ways God has come through for you in a very personal, very real way. Like as they sing that song and they're looking down, like God just drowned those people to save me and to save my kids and to save my family. So um, let me give you examples of the kind of things I'm talking about. That I wrote down that even though I lost my dad to cancer when I was 15, I had a dad who loved me. I had a dad who loved God, and I have a, da- a dad who took me to church and pointed me to God. You know how I many people don't have that? It's God's faithfulness to me. That, that I know this is not true for, for everyone. When they go through tragedy, I would say it's even true for my, my sisters in the same way it's true for me, that, that through that tragedy, through prayer, God not only gave my family more time, because they gave him almost no time, but we prayed for time. His cancer was a death sentence, but we prayed for time, and we got a lot more time than what they said we were going to have. And we prayed for it. And I, for the first time in my life, I'm like, God literally just answered one of my prayers. He shouldn't be here, but he's still here. And so I started to believe in prayer. I started to have faith like I never did before. And then, and then through that process, like God just showed me that he was real. He showed me. And so from that point on, I've, said, I've shared with other people, I feel like God just gave me the gift of faith. And that God actually became my father because I needed him to. It was an unbelievable important time in my life that my dad died, the most important person in my life. But also God showed me who he was. He was faithful to me as my, as my true father. 
Another one, I prayed for a godly wife. I prayed for a godly wife for a long time. And not only did he give me a wife that loves God deeply and has unbelievable character and so amazing in so many ways. I'm sorry, babe, but she hates it when I do this. But, I, but that she literally makes me want to be more like Christ. She loves like Christ loves. She forgives and shows grace and mercy as Christ forgives. She's forgiven me for things that she shouldn't have had to, but she has. And so I thank God all of the time. I have to remember what an unbelievable blessing my wife is. I could keep going and going. I wrote a bunch down. I want you to write yours down. Specific ways that God has answered prayer, that he's been there for you, that he's shown you that he's true. Maybe miracles that he's done in your life. The times that he's reminded you of who he is and that he is for you and with you. The front side is because of who God is, he has done these things for me. The back side is very specific, very personal ways that God has shown up for you. I want you to remember. I want you to remember. The, the things I listed, that's my song. What's yours? What's the thing that's going to remind you that, that God is your strength and your salvation? So as the worship team plays, I just want to give you time to think and time to pray and time to remember and time to write down your song of celebration, your song of remembrance to who God is and what he's done. We Church, we so so easily forget. God can do amazing things to remind us of who he is. And a month later, we can all, it's that, that feeling, that truth can be almost gone in a month. We need to remember. We need to hold on to these things. So take, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all the time that you need. And here in a minute, the worship team is going to ask you to stand and worship corporately, but you, t you take all of the time you need right now for you to remember personally. And in the meantime, as you're doing that, if you need prayer, if you need to talk about anything at all, I'll be over here on this bench. A few other people will probably join me. If you need anything, come talk to us, come pray with us. Otherwise, take time to remember how good and amazing your God is.